Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. At Morgan Stanley, old school hard work meets bold new thinking. At 88 years old, we still see the world with the wonder of new eyes, helping you discover untapped possibilities and relentlessly working with you to make them real. Old School Grit, New World Ideas, Morgan Stanley. To learn more, visit morganstanley.com slash why us. Investing involves risk. Morgan Stanley Smith Barney, LLC. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. I'd be one to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Will next week be filled with lots more days like today? The Dow lost 256 points. S&P dipped 0.39%. NASDAQ sank 0.83%. Will we keep getting hammered by incessant woes and worries about the economy? Even as we give a pass to the, cons- to the companies that cater to the strong consumer. Or just putting this out there, will we come to realization that without some sort of trade deal with China, or at least Mexico and Canada, that this market is going to be headed lower no matter what? I fear it will actually be the latter, because the strength of the stock market early this week was so broad, well, that the higher the stocks go, the less lift you get from NABAF. Remember NABAF? Yeah, that's my magical acronym for not as bad as feared. NABAF only works when stocks are down going into earnings, like the bank stocks were going into this week. If they've already run, NABAF doesn't offer you much protection. They'll need to deliver genuinely better than expected numbers, and that's much harder to do for a lot of the companies in this environment. With that in mind, let me walk you through the game plan for next week. This is Kramer's game plan. It's the only game plan that matters. Oh, the other game plans, you see, they're not real. Halliburton reports early Monday morning. We call this one Hal, okay, like, uh, you know, 2001 Space Odyssey. And uh, I'm not a huge fan of the fossil fuel stocks, you know that, but I recognize that Halliburton's a very well-run company. I think it could deliver a decent number. It trades at just 12.5 times next year's earnings, almost 4% yield. One problem, Hal's biggest competitor, Hal's biggest competitor is Schlumberger. Symbol there is SLB. And it reported a fantastic quarter today. Good conference call, too. But even though its stock has been in the doghouse, <laughs> on this great quarter, what happened? It only rallied It rallied a little more than 1%. That's hardly any lift. And slob, as we call it on Wall Street, got, has a 6% yield. Well, let me tell you something. That's not encouraging. After the close, we hear from one that I'm just going to just listen in on. It's called TD Ameritrade. Maybe we'll get a sense of what this new era of zero commissions means for their profitability. I want to know what their other revenue streams look like. If the earnings are going lower, so will the stock, even from these battered levels. TD Ameritrade has become among the riskier brokerage stocks out there because they're more dependent on commissions. But let's see what they have to say. 
Because the stock's come down so much that some would say it's a bargain. If I were a CEO, you know what? I never in a million years would I bother to report on Tuesday, the 22nd, because there's no time to stop, look, and listen to these companies that strut their stuff. I mean, look, I, I can't even touch all the important ones here. This is a cursory look at what I think matters. First, Procter & Gamble. Now, look, I think it's going to be a fine quarter. Stock's fallen eight points from its highs. Markets rotated in the financials and the cheaper, more cyclical tech stocks. I think it can rotate back now that the international industrials are reporting. I mean, they're starting to sound the tariff alarm. Proctor stocks should come back into vogue. I interviewed David Taylor not that long ago at Delivering Alpha, uh, a great uh, conference, and I really felt pretty good about Proctor's prospects. You know what? I feel the same way about Steve Easterbrook and McDonald's, and I also like Kimberly Clark. These stocks are winners in an industrial slowdown. I think you can buy either of them. Both have chronically been undervalued. McDonald's in particular these days, it's under way too much pressure. That said, you know what's better, you know what's better than both of those? Yum Brands. That's the one to watch. Hey, next, United Technology should buck the trend of weaker industrials. The same way, by the way, that Honeywell, Darius Adjamtech did, Adjamtech did just uh, uh, earlier this week. Now, United Technology is merging with Raytheon, and it's still a long way off. But I bet this amalgam of elevators and aircraft parts and climate controls, I think it can win even without a China deal. Great value here. After the close, we hear from not value, but a great company, which is Chipotle with a terrific CEO, by the way. Even though the stock's up almost 100% this year, 100%, I still like it. I expect to hear good things about their delivery, their throughput, and the new carne asada dish that's incredibly popular. I told the the cooks at at Bar San Miguel, I want carne asada on the menu. But then instead, what I really did was just order it for one of those DoorDash things. Oh, on Wednesday morning, Boeing reports, this could be the most important quarter of the week, month, day, year. Today, we learned some seemingly incriminating text messages from a key Boeing employee who allegedly indicated knowledge of real problems with the system that went haywire on the two 737 MAX flights that crashed, killing all aboard. When that news came out, this stock got hammered. It's down nearly 7%. The story is horrifying. Now, this is mad money. I'm not trying to make, you know, just try to... Um, you know, make any sort of equivalence to what happened with Boeing the, in the jets. But this, this thing is going to get resolved. And I felt that today may have been one of the lower moments. And you've got to start thinking about what's going to happen when this plane gets off the ground, which I think is going to happen in the next six months. I know this is a very contrary view to what everyone's thinking, but you have to think like that if you're going to make good money on Wall Street. By the way, memo to the Chinese Communist Party. If you really want to show the White House you're serious about making a deal, what you shouldn't do is buy soybeans. You should buy Boeing planes. You know what's unusual? When a stock holds up after getting hit with a big downgrade, especially on a down day. Today, though, we had, we had two of them, Caterpillar and Waste Management. Now, the former barely budged. The latter ended up rallying. They both reported on Wednesday. What does this tell us? Okay, let's think about this. Typically, I'd say it means the stock's ready to roar. I think that can absolutely happen with waste management. I predict a strong quarter. Caterpillar, tougher call. Owner for the travel trust, I'm telling ActionLordsPlus.com members that it could go lower, meaning it will probably go lower, uh, before it goes higher. That said, cat stock's got a 3% yield. It will be one of the biggest winners. Again, if we get any of these trade deals that are being floated around the globe, including the ones that uh, my old pal Larry Kudlow, who's now the chief economic advisor of the president, said is going to happen. Maybe as soon as uh, before Thanksgiving. 
Then there's Thermo Fisher, TMO. If you want consistent earnings that tend to generate slow and steady gains in the stock, I want you to look no further than the bioscience equipment maker that is Thermo Fisher. They've got hardly any economic sensitivity. It's a terrific long-term investment. Oh, Mr. Casper, come back, will you? I mean, come on. Come on. All right, after the close, we hear from, my, uh, from Microsoft. Unfortunately, this stock has become such a market darling that it needs to print a smashing quarter with real strength across Windows and gaming and LinkedIn and Azure, the cloud business. And you know what? I think Microsoft's going to do just that. I'm only using... Anyway, pay power ports too. Last quarter, we got a shade down in the earnings. Ooh, it hit the stock. Could happen again. But you, you know what? You've made money buying into weakness. I say wait and see. Now, there used to be nothing more psychedelic than a Tesla conference call. I used to listen to it by, when I, I used to play uh, The Doors The End when it was on, you know? This is the end. I would actually play it while I listened to the call. Uh, but these days, Elon Musk has become hobbled, silent even, a pitiful, helpless giant. Can't talk about the company's prospects the way he used to. That's why the stocks could be a nab of play going into the quarter and nothing more. And without the braggadocio Elon Musk that we miss so much, making gigantic claims of profitability and lots of cars, maybe the stock does a whole lot of nothing. Now, we know the cloud kings are under pressure. More on that later. What matters right now is that ServiceNow is down 60 points from its high, 303 to 243. It is set up for a not-as-bad-as-feared number. So this one might be worth a trade. N-O-W-O. Hey, you want clockwork like Thermo Fisher? How about Danaher, which reports Thursday? This one's doubling down on life sciences by acquiring GE's high-growth healthcare business. It's another good, non-economically sensitive trade. Or better yet, let's just make that one an investment after the close, Amazon reports, it's a large position by Chapel Trust. We own it for the long haul, though, and we'll stick with it regardless of this particular quarter. See, Amazon has two modes, spend and harvest. You want to buy it when it's in spend mode because then the stock gets depressed, which means you buy it now. Finally, on Friday, we get two stocks that have managed to buck downturns in their own groups. Anheuser-Busch, the international beer company, and VF Corp, the apparel biz. Both stocks are up about 40% for the year. VF actually hit an all-time high today, powered by Vans. That's a terrific shoe brand, which is founded on a culture of learning. I Googled that and found out. If either of these stocks gets hit, I'd be a buyer of weakness. Anderson Bush spinning off that international business, the Asian business. they got a good beer business. What can I say? Bottom line, next week is a tough week to gain. Too many companies, too many variables. It might just be worth it to sit on your hands throughout the week. No buys. Unless we something truly see something truly game-changing from China. Otherwise, at this point in earnings season, you should simply try to stop, look, and listen, and get no sleep whatsoever, because there's just way too much homework to do. Betsy in Virginia. Betsy! Hi, Jim. I'm a longtime viewer and a first-time caller, and right. uh, my question is about Intuitive Surgical, which rose sharply after earnings report came out yesterday. I've been buying at different prices to dollar cost average for the long haul. Should I continue to hold? I love the quarter. It reminded me of the old days. I'm so glad to see that Da Vinci's back. I thought it never went away. My local hospital overlook, I did a fundraiser. When they got a Da Vinci, I'm a complete believer. What can I say? A complete believer. There's a lot happening. One finger only, please. A lot happening next week. It may be worth just getting through it without making any sort of wild moves. Well, man, money tonight after 
today's losses. Wondering if the slew of better than expected earnings are enough to keep this market afloat? I'm breaking down the action and telling you what's ahead. Then after a busy week for earnings, I'm eyeing what's arguably the most important sector. The fins, as we call them. No, not the dolphins. Oh, please. They're not as good as the summit hilltoppers. I'm calling about the banks. And I'm giving you a full breakdown of what we learned. And after a difficult week for the cloud kings, wonder if they can turn anytime soon. I'm checking the forecast. Stay with me. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs and the small dogs who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Could have been worse. That's my gut reaction when I think about today's shellacking. Two very high-profile stocks, Johnson & Johnson and Boeing, played right into the hands of the bad news bears, and their weakness crushed the Dow Jones average. And you know what? The action made sense. The action made sense because the news was very, very bad. We found out that a top executive at Boeing allegedly knew the 737 MAX was unsafe and lied about it to the FAA. Uh, it sounds criminal to me. As for J&J, it called a big lot of talcum powder because of the possibility of asbestos contamination just a little bit. But hey, wait a second. I, I don't know what to say here because the company's not saying much. What I do know is that management gave us multiple assurances that this kind of thing couldn't happen. And that's why the stock was punished so severely. Frankly, I was stunned. I am stunned. I thought it would be down $10 in the news when it came out right before its clock on the street. Well, closed at $8.47. Better than expected. Alas, we own J&J for my travel trust. The stock had just gotten out of a terrible funk thanks to a fantastic quarter. Possibility of an opiate settlement that doesn't look so good now. There's a chance that the batch of talc may have been contaminated by another source. Maybe not J&J. And frankly, that possibility is the only reason I'm not telling you to dump the stock right now, right here. At this point, the bears are simply going to say that Johnson Johnson is not a drug company. It's a law firm and a losing law firm at that because it's involved in so many lawsuits, just 15,000 alone in talc. Many people are going to say guilty as charged. Is there a level where J&J becomes safe to become to buy after that excellent quarter? Great balance sheet, AAA. No, not until we hear from Reuters and the New York Times. 
both of which wrote highly critical pieces about how the company handled these issues in the past. Stock was in the 140s when they wrote them. Now it's fallen back to where they fell to before. I bet you Reuters in the Times savage, savage J&J. These two stocks cast a pull over today's trading, and for good reason. Both stocks are vicious, vicious conundrums. Uh, we know that one day Boeing will get that disreputable plane in the air again, and it'll be safe as can be, but their credibility has been trashed. So I suspect Wall Street won't pay as much for the stock, even once the situation is fixed. JJ, I have praised this stock too endlessly. I've backed management endlessly to the hilt through the myriad lawsuits. This new wrinkle, though, I'm saying maybe it is just too much for me. I'm going to talk about my wife when I get home. Uh, unless the asbestos has been improperly placed into the talc and it's a totally isolated incident. Maybe the, inf- the evidence is wrong, but boy, that seems like a thin read. I've often thought that J&J is the best company in America. That's why we own it for the Travel Trust. Join it at uh, ActionLaunchPlus.com Club. You can hear how upset I am. I mean, I'm discouraged. Now, I would love to see CEO Alex Gorski, whom I think is fantastic. Uh, he's done such a good job managing the drug and device side of the equation. I'd like to see him come on Mad Money, explain to us all the possible ways this asbestos taint could have happened, despite his assurances to the contrary. It's very suboptimal, and it's very dispiriting. I'm, look, I, I'm a human being. I feel awful that I said all these good things. And I, but, but let's get on to something that I can fathom a little better. Let's talk about FANG. Remember, that's my extended acronym for Facebook, Apple, Amazon, Netflix, and Google which is now Alphabet. Now, lately, I've been noodling on, the, on its uh, composition, frankly. Now, the F, Facebook, remains a very undervalued stock. I was pleased to read Mark Zuckerberg's Georgetown address, where he talked about freedom of speech here versus China. I thought he was quitted himself well, especially when he talked about the censorship rules on TikTok that were apparently written by the Chinese Communist Party. <laughs> Thanks. Good to know. The only way this name gets lifted out of Fang would be if Mark Benioff, the CEO of Salesforce, gets his way that he talked about this week, and Facebook's broken up into three separate companies, Facebook, Instagram, and WhatsApp. That still seems pretty unlikely to me. Apple is the market's North Star. Managed to rally today, and I think this moves about more than just a trade deal in China. Apple's going strong because of the incredible worldwide popularity of the new iPhone 11. As a satisfied customer, I can tell you that the three-camera aperture, I think that's the word, it, it is wonderful. I took picture, uh, pictures of my wife in the middle of the night in dark, and I was, was going to post them on Twitter, which is, hey, Jim, I'm in my pajamas. But they came out perfect. For the last 200 points, I've been telling you to own Apple, don't trade it. Why stop now? Good graphic. Good graphic. Heather Gaines special. I thought that Heather Gaines was really much more focused on Zscaler and CrowdStrike, but this is remarkable. Amazon reports next week, and I'm concerned about uh, its spending habits. Or rather, I'm concerned that Wall Street will be concerned about its spending habits because Amazon's spending in, in spades because it likes to grow. But it does need to control its expenditures at some point or its stock could get hammered. That said, you know what the real threat to Amazon is? Senator Elizabeth Warren, the, the uh, frontliner for the Democratic nomination, who's adamant that Amazon needs to be broken up. She wants to separate Amazon Web Services from Amazon. That would be disastrous for shareholders. Then there's Google, which has been Alphabet for years, so we really have to change the acronym. Alphabet has the, has the same Elizabeth Warren woes, but it's so cheap that I think the stock would actually benefit from a sum of the parts breakup into search, cloud service, Waymo, and the self-driving car initiative, which brings me to the elephant in the room. Brings me to Netflix. Yeah, Netflix. The stock got hammered today, just as I told you it would be last night. Remember? I said I didn't like that quarter at all and that people were wrong to buy it. They were wrong. When Netflix reported two nights ago, they missed on almost every key metric. I think it's got more downside. 
I think, I think the stock has lost its mojo. I say we replace Netflix with a far less episodic Microsoft. But if we do that, well, you know, we've got some difficult choices to make. So my suggestion is this. I need a new acronym. Give me your suggestions by going on to Twitter and typing in at Jim Cramer and give me your new acronym. All that said, I think today could have been worse. The market needed to take a breather, and a lot of this weakness came down to issues that are very company-specific. There's nothing to extrapolate from Boeing or J&J other than sadness and confusion. One scattered piece of good news, I like the way Coca-Cola held up during an uh, awful day. Stellar quarter. Congratulations to James Quincy. Hey, and a Topo Chico on me. On the other hand, I hated the action in the retail ETFs, which had the worst day in a couple of weeks, led lower by Macy's, which got clubbed by an extremely bearish analyst report. While the analysts didn't come out and say it, the research made it feel like the, the dividend, which yields a gigantic 10%, isn't as safe as the marathon man visiting the dentist. The bottom line, it was bad day. But we have to hope that Larry Kudlow, President's Chief Economic Advisor, was right yesterday when he told me that we're going to get some trade relief real soon. High-level officials talking it out about China. But without some movement from China, you can expect more miserable sessions like this one, including still lower prices for Johnson & Johnson, Boeing, both deserve it, and yes, Fang Reject, Netflix. You stay with Kramer. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Demand for energy is projected to continue rising in the future. To help keep up, Chevron is increasing their U.S. oil and gas production, and they're innovating to help do it responsibly across their operations, including their Gulf of Mexico facilities, which are some of the world's lowest carbon intensity operations, helping supply energy that's affordable, reliable, and ever cleaner. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com slash meeting demand. Now that we've made it through the first week of earnings season, it's time to go over what we've actually learned. This week, we've got a bank earnings blitz with all the major financial institutions reporting, and they collectively painted what I think was an ABF. Yeah, not as bad as feared. To me, that's very encouraging, which is why I want to take them one by one. I want to spend some time on these because this is the best acting group in the market right now. Why don't we start with the big money center banks? See, if you have a long history in the stock market, you know that this should have been an awful quarter for the banks. Think about it. We've got this inverted yield curve. I know you're bored by it, but let me just walk you through it. It's where long-term interest rates are lower than short-term rates in many cases. These rates control uh, the net interest margin, the difference between what they make on your money and what they pay you for it. That's where all the money's supposed to be made. You'd expect the inverted yield curve would annihilate that number. Take down the earnings with it. People were so scared it would happen. You can tell it was palpable. It didn't occur. 
10, 15 years ago, the situation would have been real ugly for the big money center. Banks. I used to trade them pretty aggressively and own a bunch of 9% of, a, of some of the smaller banks. This would have been a disaster for me. These banks have aggressively diversified away from net interest income now. They've been pushing more and more fee-based businesses. Why? Because fees stick with you in good times as well as bad. Hey, come on. Yeah, I, I used an ATM in Mexico last week. It cost me like $7. You, you know, you press the button. You don't even look anymore, right? Well, confirm, confirm. Sure. No problem. Anyway, uh, look at J.P. Morgan, the best of breed operator with a fortress balance sheet that kicked things off when it reported on Tuesday morning. These guys put on a master class in how to deliver even in a supposedly tough environment. J.P. Morgan delivered a substantial top and bottom line beat. Jamie Diamond today was talking about how weak the economy is, but not to worry. He was right. Net interest income was actually up 2% thanks to an influx of cheap deposits. But it's the non-interest revenue that's the real standout here, up 14% year over year, thanks to strength in fixed income, home lending, and even auto lending. J.P. Morgan's consumer business is humming with double-digit credit card sales volume growth and record profits. A lot of this, by the way, when the Fed cut rates, it helped. I heard some people talking this morning. It was driving me crazy. I said, well, would a Fed rate cut really matter? Did they read J.P. Morgan's numbers? I mean, like, holy cow. Their investment bank, by the way, is on fire, just racking up fees left and right. Commercial bank and asset management divisions were both effectively flat. Oh, but wait a second. It's not as bad result when you consider where we are in the business cycle. Remember, I said Jamie Dimon, he sang one about the consumer. Obviously, there's some weakness in the business cycle. Look at this. Will you look at this? Isn't this beautiful? It, you know what? The stock only jumped 3% on the news. I like it even more after this run. Not only is J.P. Morgan best of breed, don't think so, even after this sells at just 12 times next year's earnings estimates, sporting a nearly 3% yield. Uh, that is ludicrously cheap. Hence why we own this one for Travel Trust. You can follow by joining the ActionLearnsPlus.com club. I did a club call this week, and I said, you know what? This is the one. It can do that. It really can. It can break out to the upside. All right, next up. And, and, you know, uh, after J.P. Morgan reported, it's so tough. It's so tough to go after them because it was so good. But that's when Citigroup reported. Citigroup's another Chapel Trust name. And it posted a nice top and bottom line beat. It was the kind of result we've now come to expect from CEO Mike Corbett with modest revenue growth, inline costs, and substantial earnings growth, partially fueled by the company's monster buybacks. While Citi's net interest margin came in weaker than expected, the strength of their consumer business more than made up for it with a branded card, branded credit card revenue in the U.S. up 11%. Numbers weren't quite as good as what we saw from J.P. Morgan. But city stock is so much cheaper, and it's already given back all its post-quarter gains. Right here, the darn thing trades at eight times next year's earnings estimates, 2.9% yield. More importantly, Citi's a $69 and change stock. $69 tangible book value here. That's what you get if you liquidate the whole company. I mean, I know you're not going to liquidate the whole company, but what it means is that's the cash. That's the cash they have. As I told ActionLearnsPlus.com club members, Citigroup's a buy whenever its stock drives, uh, drops below the book value. In other words, if it comes down another buck from here, you can pounce. Remember, the company's going to be pouncing with you because it's so additive to earnings if they can buy it below book. Now, Wells Fargo reported on Tuesday. Wells is complicated. Black sheep of the banking industry. Revenue beat, sizable earnings miss. 
Uh, but they have to spend fortunes on personnel because all the problems they had. And this was a noisy quarter with a bunch of big one-time items. So the miss wasn't as bad as it looked. Still, their net interest margin got hammered. It was down, it was down 28 basis points. That's terrible. Uh, it went to 2.66%. On the call, management told us net interest income would decline by low to mid-single digits next year. Well, thanks for nothing. Here's the thing. Nobody minded the negatives. Why? Because late last month, this company got a coup. Wells Fargo's getting a new CEO, and his name is Charlie Scharf. He is great. He was back in Europe before that. He crushed it at Visa. He takes over next week. The bull thesis is straightforward. Charlie is going to come in and turn things around. However, this messy quarter, I think the Sharp might have his work cut out for him, and it's not going to be able to done insul- be done instantly. In the meantime, the stock's trading at 11.5 times earnings, 4.1% yield. See, I, look, that's cheap. All right, it is cheap. But you know what? It is hard for me to get behind it because Citigroup's cheaper and it's putting up better numbers. Still, Charlie will spend more on tech, as he did at Visa, while cutting expenses. That's fabulous. The bank is fat. I won't stay this negative after he has a couple of months under his belt. Last but not least, on Wednesday morning, we heard from Bank of America. That's a disadvantage of reporting after all these others. It gave you inline revenue and slightly better than expected earnings. I've long been a fan of what CEO Brian Moynihan's been doing here. Remember, I call this uh, a, tech, a tech company masquerading as a bank. That's right. They've invested heavily in best-in-class tech, taking a dominant position in digital mobile lending, which is not just for millennials anymore. Hey, I bank with this. I do. I even know how to use it. What you have to do is you have to swipe up. It's like Stripe or what is that? You know, match? Well, not really. Bank of America has 38 million digital banking users, nearly 29 million mobile banking users. They're getting tons of business from the web. 40% of the consumer mortgage applications now come from this digital swipe left and you get a more. Now, uh, meanwhile, their net interest margin came in at 2.41%. That's down just uh, four basis points year over year. Offsetting that, Bank of America racked up some major investment banking fees, solid core loan growth, and they did a good job of controlling expenses. Brian Moynihan is always welcome on the show, not just for how great the numbers were, because the stock's been flying, but for his charity work, which is just awesome, okay? And he can't talk about it, won't talk about it, because he's way too humble. But I'll say, it's amazing. The stocks uh, run from 27 last week to over 30 now. At these levels, it sells for 10 times earnings, 2.4% yield. And it's trading at 1.6 times this tangible book value. What does it mean? As much as I like Bank of America, and they are terrific, J.P. Morgan may be a better buy right here, 12 times earnings. Citi's the better value play. I think this stock can thrive in an environment where the banks are working. But you know what? I'm sticking with J.P. Morgan for the moment. Bottom line. While the big money center banks face some real headwinds here, they all delivered better than feared quarters, with the exception of perennial whipping boy Wells Fargo. Remember, remember when they couldn't miss? As long as the consumer stays strong, these companies are in terrific shape, and I think the consumer's worth betting on. You've got my blessing to keep paying up for J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, solid. Citigroup, steel, if it pulls back even a few points. As for Wells, why don't we late and see? Wait, not sorry, Charlie. I'm not adopting a, you know, a star kiss thing here. But we've got to see what Charlie can do. And if he tells a good story, I might have to change my mind and tell you to buy this one's best of breed national bank. No matter what, consider this. In one of the uglier days of the year, this group excelled. Who knows where they could go in a good thing? And that's why we're not done. We're going to delve into this group deeper when we come back after the break. Let me swipe right and get a home equity. No, that's I got the wrong. I have the wrong system. Stick with Kramer.
talk about the best group in the market. Always helps. It's the financials. They're arguably also the most important sector in any market. So when a bank week rolls around every earnings season, you better pay attention. We already went uh, and heard about J.P. Morgan, right? We looked at Citigroup, at Wells Fargo, Bank of America. Even in an environment where there are net interest margins, that's that difference between uh, what they pay you for your deposits and what they charge you for loans. Uh, when they're all being weighed down by this inverted yield curve, three of the four managed to delivered genuinely better-than-expected numbers. Remember, they were all NABIS, too, not as bad as fear. Some of that's because these companies are very well run. But a lot of it comes down to the strength of the consumer, the great undercurrent that is keeping me from turning too bearish, unlike most people I listen to. What about the other gigantic financials that reported this week? The big investment banks. Goldman Sachs, where I worked, and Morgan Stanley. Or how about a huge credit card company that you might have in your wallet, American Express? Let me walk you through them. Again, we're doing this because when we look at what's working in the market, it's the financials, so you need to know them. We're spending some time on it. First, Goldman reported on Tuesday morning. Delivered a tiny revenue beat, coupled with a tiny earnings miss. The headline numbers were unremarkable, and the stock barely budged. But, and this is a very big but, Goldman stock has been dead money for more than two years now. The story investment bank has been plagued by reputational issues like the huge corruption trial in Malaysia and the leadership transitions. Lloyd Blankfein stepped down last year. David Solomon taking over CEO. I liked that interview with Will Frost the other day. Doesn't anyone wear a tie anymore, though? Even David Faber, by the way. David Faber didn't wear a tie. This He wore a tie for my morning show, but he didn't wear Let's get back on point for a second. Every time the stock's gotten some momentum, Goldman Sachs' stock is at a ceiling around 220. Comes right back down. It's like, boom, raise high the roof beam carpenter. So the sad truth is that going into the quarter, the expectations for Goldman Sachs were pretty low. Now, we own this one for the Chapel Trust. It's been a little pathetic. We were hoping for some solid numbers, some bullish commentary about the company's new, new lines of business, like the Apple Card. Uh, and credit card and Marcus, which is their consumer business. That's not quite what we got. I have the Apple card. And no, it's not like the Mag- Magnesis. Get that out of your heads. Goldman's financial advisory business was down 22% because we haven't had as many mergers. They had a 9% decline in total underwriting, thanks in part to the lack of demand for new IPOs. The investing and lending business was rough. Trading was good, though. Fixed income, currency, and commodities is up 8% year-over-year. That's been a real bow-wow. Equities up 8%. Investment management was okay, down 2% year-over-year, but up 5% versus last quarter. I'm giving you all this because like, I want rigor. Someone stopped me on the street yesterday and said, you know what? I really like the fact that you give us a lot of information. So, hey, all told, I think Goldman delivered some solid numbers in a less than stellar environment. But there's nothing revelatory here. Maybe that's what we wanted. Now, that said, on the conference call, David Solomon told us some great things about the Apple credit card. Eight great things and what it's doing for the consumer business. That's right. As he put it. Our competitive advantage is that we have no legacy branch or technology infrastructure, avoiding channel conflicts. Yet we are a bank with a sizable balance sheet and a well-recognized brand, which is needed for successful disruption. You know, that is a terrific pitch. Plus, he described the Apple card as the most successful credit card launch ever. Independently, I can confirm the people in the industry are saying the exact same thing. Remember, they didn't have a car where like, they were paying one, one where someone came to them and said, listen, I want to give, get a deal for the consumer. you got to charge 11%, and then they, always, they had already been charging 13 for someone. He actually had the advantage of not having, this is real, channel conflicts. It really did make a difference. 
Goldman's been spending a fortune, though, to build out these new businesses. A lot of people are worried about that. But the investment should start tapering off next year, and that will bolster the investment bank's profitability. Throw an aggressive buyback, which wasn't so aggressive last quarter because of this IMDB Malaysian problem, one MDB. Uh, and you got a stock that's darn cheap, selling at 8.5 times next year's earnings estimates, cheapest in the whole group other than Citi. Even better, Goldman, like Citigroup, is a stock that trades through its tangible book value around 205 to 6. That's what, again, if they liquidate the whole business tomorrow, that's what you get. It's an attractive value play. But then again, I've been saying that for ages. Still, you got a powerful floor support right below where the stock is trading, and Goldman's paying you 2.4% to wait for the next big catalyst, which could be the strategy update in January. I'm liking this stock, but again, I plead guilty. I've liked it for a long time. And I liked working there, frankly. All right, how about Morgan Stanley, which reported yesterday morning? For the past year, these guys have been churning out steady but unspectacular results, and the stock's been trapped in the low 40s. Yesterday, though, Morgan Stanley delivered a solid top and bottom line beat, uncharacteristically healthy sales and earnings growth. Core investment banking business came better than expected, thanks to higher merger fees and greater volume of deals. Sales and trading revenues up 10% year over year. That's great. They're making a killion bonds. Fixed income up 21%. Real highlight, though, and what makes me think that this stock is so viable here is this investment management business up 17%. These guys have a terrific wealth management franchise. Maybe now they're the premier one in the whole industry. Morgan Stanley is arguably therefore the most recession-proof of the major banks. It has less reliance on net interest uh, on interest rates, and its asset management franchise gives the company a stickier, steadier revenue stream. On top of that, stock is just incredibly cheap. 8.5 times next year's earnings, 3.2% yield. It's even more of a bargain on a book value basis. 43 buck uh, stock, a nearly $40 tangible book value. I can't believe how cheap these stocks are. And everyone keeps talking about how expensive the market is. At the end of the day, though, when it comes to the investment banks, I'd rather own Goldman. Why? Because of all that investment in credit cards and consumer banking, I think it's putting in, uh, in more work to breathe new life into the business. Long time I'm betting that uh, Goldman has more catalysts. And by the way, I have to believe this Malaysian issue is going to be solved in 2020. Morgan Stanley is, though, a better sleep at night stock. Finally, what about American Express? Don't leave home without it. American Express, what a core franchise. So fabulous. Uh, after seeing, when I saw the numbers come up, I thought they were fabulous. So many of the banks praised their credit card divisions. So you think America's best guy to be in great shape. And it looked good to me, a solid top and bottom line beat. But the market didn't like it, okay? Uh, what did they see that, people, that I didn't with the stock being down 2%? What was the fly in the ointment here? Mainly, I think, it's that you had too high expectations. Unlike the banks where the expectations were pretty low. Stock had run up $25.00. For the year going into the quarter, better than all these banks I've been talking about. It's widely viewed as a financial technology stock, even though it's the one credit card company with genuine credit risk, unlike Visa and MasterCard, which are straight payment networks. These guys actually make loans. When the banks were out of style in the Wall Street Fashion Show earlier this year, investors piled into all things fintech. Boy, is that a horrible chart. That's a classic head and shoulders pattern. So America's Express had less room for error, and there were a couple of negatives. Sales were weighed down by weakness in large consu- uh, commercial spend volume, down 1%, major deceleration from up 5% last quarter. Meanwhile, loan growth uh, also slowed substan- uh, sequentially from 11 to 9%. Suboptimal. But generally, the quarter's pretty darn good. 
It's just that if you were looking for an excuse to ring the register, they gave you a couple of those with that commercial spending and loan growth figure. I get what the sellers are thinking, as Amex is the last thing you want to own if you believe we're really headed into a recession. It didn't help that their expenses seem to be rising just as quickly as their sales. My view, let's hold on for a second. I use this weakness as a buying opportunity. Given that American Express, one of the premier franchises in the world, is selling at just 13 times earnings, that's a bargain. You consider it's got steady high single-digit revenue growth and a lot less interest rate risk than your typical bank. The bottom line, as I wrap up this entire group, when it comes to the rest of the financials, it is GS, Goldman Sachs, even though it feels uh, sometimes like it's in purgatory, pre and Malaysian settlement. And I prefer it to Morgan Stanley. I wouldn't bet against either, though. As for Mercury Express, today's pullback, I'm calling it a gift. Man, money's back into the brink. It is time! It's time for the and then the lightning round is over. Are you ready, Skate Daddy? Come for the lightning round. I'm going to start with Scott in Pennsylvania. Scott! Ring Central, Jim. We happen to like Ring Central very much, but we also understand that this is not the market for the Ring Centrals. Let them come in, and only then do you pull the trigger. Mark in Florida. Mark. Hi, Jim. Cypress Semiconductor. After well, that Infineon. one's done. That's a ka-ching, ka-ching. We're not arbitrageurs. Yeah, I suggest going to a lower mobile semi, maybe even my plan as it comes in. How about Keith in Michigan? Keith in Michigan. Keith. Right. Yeah, Jim. I'm calling about a Biomed, A-B-M-D. Uh, and the stock collapsed. I mean, it was one of the best-performing stocks of the last couple of years, and it just collapsed, and I don't really get it. And I can't fathom why. But if they came on, maybe we get a better line. They came on once. I love them. B. Oh, who we got? We got Sherman in California. Sherman. Booyah, Keith Daddy. First time, long time. Thank you, Mr. Kramer, for teaching us to be smart, independent investors. I have Beyond, and with the lockup expiration on October 28th, should I sell or hold? No, you got to sell Beyond. I like the guys behind Beyond so much. But you know what? That's not enough. The fact is the stock's very overvalued versus all the competitors that are coming in. You have to still sell beyond. We'll get to a level that it's right. Hey, we're not done here. We're going to go to Mark in Virginia. Mark. Booyah, ski daddy. Uh, hey, Jim, my stock is Texas Instruments. That's TXN. Oh, nice piece out this morning saying you got to get long Texas Instruments before the quarter. Do you mind if I wait to see the number? And that, ladies and other. Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. It's been a brutal week for the Cloud Kings. The worst in recent memory. Well, I know, they might have further fall. We've been conditioned to believe these software-as-a-service or SaaS stocks are mostly immune to the slings and arrows of the business cycle. We assume that there's clients we keep paying up to migrate away from expensive on-premises software to the cheaper, faster, better cloud. But now we're hearing chatter that this great secular growth story is starting to, let's say, come to an end. It all started at Workday's analyst meeting on Tuesday. CEO Neil Bushry, friend of the show, said, we're definitely seeing some delays when it comes to the human capital business. And delays are the last thing you want to see when you've got a stock that's selling for 100 times earnings. So even though uh, Workday's st- stock had already fallen from 226 at its highs over the summer to 181 right before the meeting, 
The stock plummeted another 20 points the next day. You know what? Since then, it's fallen another five bucks. Worse, Workday did a great job of spreading around the pain. They told us that they want to get into the procurement business, which is currently the domain of Coupa Software, a stock that was up 150% for the year earlier this week. No wonder Coupa's been clobbered from 160 down to 128 as of today. Uh, why does Workday want a piece of the procurement business? The analysts who cover the stock hinted in various ways that it must be because their core human capital software business is slowing. So they must enter a new vertical. That kind of competition tends to terrify investors. Then there's the unthinkable happened. City downgraded Adobe. That's right. I mean, they actually just downgraded it. And Morgan Stanley, it slashed ServiceNow to a, from a buy to a hold. Adobe had already fallen from 313 to 279, but it lost another 14 points since the downgrade. ServiceNow sunk from 303 to 274, but it's off another 31 bucks since the downgrade. What was Cindy's reasoning for the downgrade? They don't like the risk reward in Adobe, and they think some of the company's digital commerce businesses may have weaker prospects than Wall Street believes. As for Morgan Stanley, they condemn ServiceNow as too expensive, given that the company needs to boost its R&D spending to stay ahead of the pack. Oh, man, these downgrades, they were just so devastating. Well, ServiceNow reports next week. Maybe it can rebut the presumption. Final blow! Oddly, Mark Benioff, the co-CEO of Salesforce, is on a book tour for uh, Trailblazer. And somehow that resonated negatively for Salesforce's stock. Some thought Benioff was too self-deprecating. Others questioned how he could spend time doing business and promoting his new book, Trailblazer. Still, others didn't like what he had to say about regulation. He called for Facebook to be broken up because, in his eyes, that is too much power over the media. Now, at first, I didn't think any of this stuff matters. I mean, it seemed too petty, especially since Salesforce reported the best quarter of the group last, just last earnings season. But even these minor peccadillos took the toll. And because Benioff's one of the people who pioneered the software-as-a-service concept, anything negative about him tends to tarnish the whole industry. As stupid as that is, all of these negatives have coalesced to trash the entire group, leaving the cloud stocks in tatters. And by the way, it has not helped one bit that there is aggressive, aggressive insider selling in many of these stocks. Can tech advance without the cloud? Oh, it'll be tough. I mean, think. On Wednesday, IBM reported a widely panned quarter that included verbiage, claiming there was a slowdown in, in spending, enterprise spending, from Germany and the U.K., two key markets uh, for the software as a service base. And by the way, of course, they were hurt by Brexit or whatever. Now, plus, while there's been a break in new IPOs because we got so oversaturated, once the deals uh, start flowing back, money managers may have to start selling these stocks again just to participate in the new offerings. Heavy millstone. So what could turn the cloud cohort around? Because, you know, we always like to look at the other side in, in uh, Mad Money. I think your best bet is Adobe. They hold an analyst meeting on November 4th. If CEO Shantanu Narayan raises his growth forecast, it could ignite the entire sector, which I believe is now heavily shorted. Barring that, at some point, bargain hunters will start coming into the group, although it might take a a while because these stocks are hardly bargains when it comes to price to earnings or price to sales. This cloud sell-off feels different to me. I think it's a signal that these companies are more economically sensitive than we thought, and they may be out of their long runways. Competition's coming. So their price earnings multiples need to come down. Maybe we're in the third inning, fourth inning, no longer in the first inning for certain. Yet the cloud's lost its luster. You can still own one in case we get some kind of bounce. Look, Machado Trust still owns Salesforce. But other than that, these stocks are becoming a bit of the untouchable stock until we get stocks, until we get something genuinely positive about software as a service companies. 
And who knows when that will happen? Stick with Kramer. Give up on the cloud stocks? I don't know. I mean, today was really overshadowed Boeing and J&J. That's what we're thinking about. But the cloud stocks are rotting underneath. I say give them some time. Remember, it's going to be the Adobe November analyst meeting is what we're going to key on and service now's numbers next week in order to see if we can't get a reversal because these stocks are down incredibly low. I like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you Monday. How do you land your dream job? It starts by acing the interview. Go to cnbcmakeit.com slash courses to register now and learn exactly what hiring managers are looking for with CNBC Make It's new career-boosting online course where experts share their secrets for a dynamic resume, coming across with confidence, what to wear, and more. For a limited time, save 50% with our introductory offer. Register now at cnbcmakeit.com slash courses.